So today we are going to be talking about Legend from 1985, not to be confused with the more recent movie Legend, which has nothing to do with this movie Legend. Which isn't a bad movie. But it's It's, not this movie. Tom Hardy does a good job playing twins. Right. But we're talking about the one with Tom Cruise in a miniskirt. The other Tom. So you would vividly remember Tom Cruise in a miniskirt. If you don't remember Tom Cruise in a miniskirt... You watched the wrong legend. Go back. Try again. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back, friends. Uh, We don't have any business to cover. I really just want to get into talking about legend because we've done quite a bit of um, research. research. Yeah, research on this one. And I have a lot to say. So I feel like we should just leap into it. So, Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. Welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. Okay, so we watched both the theatrical release and the director's cut of Legend. Which was interesting because growing up, I always watched the theatrical version because that's what was at Blockbuster. Rachel had no memory of the theatrical version (laughs) and has only seen the director's cut up to this point. In fact, I bought like a DVD edition of this, and it was like the ultimate edition. And it had both the director's cut and the theatrical release. But being the purist I am, I always feel like the director knows what's best. So if there's a director's cut, I'll watch that one. So up till now, I had not seen the theatrical release of this movie. And I think Rachel's opinions of the movie have changed after seeing the theatrical release. You know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to go, I'm going to say it. The theatrical release is better. Absolutely. It's better. After seeing both? Yeah. Yeah. It's better. Yeah, we watched them back to back. And uh, I don't care if this is a controversial opinion. Tom Cruise apparently supports only the director's cut. But the director's cut has a actual orchestral soundtrack. Jerry Goldsmith. By Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, I recognize the name Jerry Goldfith, Goldsmith from like Star Trek. Yeah, it's Star Trek theme. That's Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, but the theatrical release has Tangerine Dream, which is just like 80s glory synth music. Turns out Tangerine Dream has done quite a few filmed soundtracks, including one of my favorite vampire movies of all time, Near Dark. They also did Risky Business, which Tom Cruise is in this movie two years after. After he's in Risky Business. Oh. So we get a surprise. We get Risky Business, Tom Cruise, you know, iconic sunglasses, 
pantless. Well, he's pantless in this too. Right. That's uh, a theme. Shirt scene, the, the slide. Um, and then we get uh, Legend, which this is his natural hair in Legend. This is the longest Tom Cruise's natural hair appears in a movie. Which he has a little bit of a rat tail in the back. It's that might of, that might be the longest part. I'm getting, I had short hair and I grew it out. So you get, everything's the same length. So like his bangs are the same length as the back, but the hair in the back is longer. So he's got it pulled into a ponytail. Yep. Anyway, that's the least of our concerns with this movie. Uh, this is Ridley Scott. So whatever else this movie is, it's beautiful. Like every scene is just... A work of art. The lighting, the framing. Yeah. The like quick transitions between like each character in a scene and kind of the feel and the energy is maintained. Completely different colors and movement. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's it's nice. So in the theatrical version, the one thing I don't love is that we see Lord Darkness like right away. Right away. Yeah, we get no build-up reveal. He's just like straight up out at the very beginning, monologuing. Uh, and we see him a couple times, including in the scene where he's talking to Blix, which Blix is like his goblin, chief goblin. And he's telling Blix to go hunt the unicorns. So in the director's cut, you don't ever see him. You There's see a lot finger. more tension yeah. about the Lord of Darkness character because... He's almost deliberately hidden from the camera. This is the same rule. For like rule. the first two thirds of the movie. The same rule we talked about in Pandorum. Where Pandorum broke the rule. Yeah, you don't you don't blow you don't blow your monster reveal at the very beginning. You gotta build that up. I think the build up works really well in the in the director's cut. Especially with the first time you see Blix talking to Lord of Darkness, like in the like on the surface, it's this almost like uh, ring wraith looking yeah, character, right? And so you don't even know what Lord What's, of Darkness is supposed yes, to look like, yes, because you just see this like shrouded shape and no horns. Correct. So it's like this is just some you know ethereal shape that he summoned up just to communicate with Blix, right? And it makes him feel more omnipresent. Because you don't have a face for him. You don't have a face for him for like an hour. Literally the first time we see darkness is when he comes out of the mirror. Right. Yeah. And so that's our big that's our big reveal. And that is impactful when he is saved until that scene. But it's all right. I mean, the theatrical release throws him in there early. He's got cool glow-in-the-dark nails. His entire body is a different color. Yeah, he's like dark. And then he's his... Like- Black. His nails and his eyes are glow in the dark. Although, in, so in the when he's talking to Blix, in the director's cut, the only thing we see is his hand. Yeah, and so just we see finger. like the hand with the long black fingernail. Yeah, but in the theatrical version, we see him like full body shot. Yeah, he's like chilling he's in his black comfy chair. Like bright green glow in the dark fingernails and contacts. Yeah. But during that scene where we see him, he's talking to Blix. And we get the same little snippet 
of him putting his finger with the long black nail in Blix's face, which is kind of a contrast of long, shiny black nail, long, bright green glow-in-the-dark nail. Right. And uh, it's a little bit of a break. Yeah. Because reality is what we're shooting for in Legend. Continuity. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so at the very beginning, uh, in the theatrical version, he immediately alludes to the fact that there's something. I mean, first of all, we had the approximately three and a half paragraphs of uh, expository text at the very beginning, where it just explained the entire movie plot. Rather than trusting the viewer to piece it together. It was long. It was long, and it went on forever. Like, it was like 45 minutes. I think the... Ex- experientially. Exp- it felt like it. Um, so they talked about the unicorns and how the unicorns are the reason that the sun rises. And so in the very beginning, it was only darkness. But now that there's light, the unicorns guard, guard the light. But it is safe from darkness because only the pure of heart can find the unicorns. So, and Jack is pure of heart, which they just go ahead and tell you. They're like, and there's a guy, his name is Jack, and he's pure of heart, just so everybody knows. Oh, and he loves a lady named Lily, and she's pure of heart, too. You guys got it? Okay, good. Here's the setup. Let's go. Uh, we don't get that in the director's cut, which I do like. I, I don't like text at the beginning of a movie. This is going to be a consistent theme. I didn't love it at the beginning of Highlander. I don't love it here. I think the only time it works... One of the few times it works, Star Wars movies, where we get the scroll text at the beginning. Right, where it's not explaining so much of the plot that's going to happen, it's giving you background. Yes. Uh, So Darkness tells Blix that what he needs to do is find the unicorns, because they're here, they're in the forest, and they need to be killed, so that sun will never rise again, and darkness can have free reign. So Blix asks, how, he, how am I supposed to find the unicorns? What am I supposed to do? And so Tim Curry says, There is only one lure for such disgusting goodness. One bait that never fails. What be this bait? Please, you teach me. Innocence. 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 There's only one way to trap a unicorn, and it's it no sense. And he says it like it's three words, in no sense. Which uh, reminds me of the of Transformers, the movie, the animated movie, uh, where there's the judge on that one planet, the judge robot with yes. multiple faces. It's like guilty or innocent. Innocent. It's kind of the same inflection on the word innocent. Yeah. I mean, it's a good word to draw out. It's dramatic. Similar time period. Yeah, similar, almost exactly the same time period, in fact. Two years apart, I think. It takes place in 2005, honey. <laughs> Who knows when legend is supposed to take place? Uh, I think it's in the far distant past. It's supposed to the be like the time of past? legends, because that's what it says in the text at the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, so after that, we cut to a lady roaming in a sunlit forest, covered in flowers. She's not covered in flowers, the forest is. And she's kind of carrying a bouquet, and in the theatrical release, she's just walking. 
But in the director's cut, she's singing, which she doesn't sing at all in the theatrical release. That's right. Yeah. Just quite a bit of singing. There's like two or three singing scenes. Yeah. Which works with Jerry Goldsmith's uh, score. I don't know if it would have worked with the synth magic that is the Tangerine Dream <laughs> Tangerine Dream soundtrack. But the Tangerine Dream soundtrack fits the aesthetic. It fits, right. Cause, so I'm obviously a fan of 80s and 90s media, uh, just in general. And so there's kind of an aesthetic I'm looking for in an 80s movie. And this ticks all the boxes to start with. It's over the top. It's dramatic. It's colorful. It's uh, totally lacking in ironic subtext. There is no cynicism. Yeah. This is completely ju- innocent. <laughs> and it's. Lily is so pure of heart that she sweats a glitter. Yeah. It's in an, this movie. It's an exploration of their relationship and their romance in this fantastical setting, which is what I love in 80s movies. And what I'm not looking for in an 80s movies is a legit like symphony soundtrack. <laughs> I need the I need synthesizer music. I need the like synthesizer uh, ultimate song at the end where the guy's singing over top of all the dramatic wrap up. Right. There's been it's been like similar sounding music the whole movie, but then we get to the final scene, and then finally we get the like eighties like synth rock ballad. Yeah. Lyrics. Oh yeah. It's and it's magic. It's absolute magic. But she does, she's walking through the forest and she gets to like a villager home, kind of a on the edge of the forest lady and her husband and child that are all living there. And so she kind of breaks into the house where she harasses the lady by untying her, her line of laundry. She's implying a lot of familiarity. Okay. Well. She plays a trick on the lady. She goes inside, gets a snack, pokes around. Yeah, and so then the lady comes in because she doesn't know Lily's the one who knocked down her laundry. She thinks it's Bloomin' Fairies. So she comes in, and they have a brief chat, which is longer in the director's cut. And she actually says in the director's cut, Oh, the willful heart invites despair, like blind men creeping in a dragon's lair. Which just fits my theory that someone in the first act must always state the theme. We do cut this out. It's not in the theatrical version, um, but she says it in the director's cut, so I think that counts. Right, and in the theatrical version, uh, it's probably about this similar time into the movie. Uh, no, it's it's a little later. Um, not too much. The, later, I think though. the the statement of the uh, plot of the movie is "Don't leave us in darkness, Jack." Yeah, don't leave us in the dark, Jack. Come on, Jack. Don't keep us in the dark. And that's Gump, who we're going to meet very shortly. Uh, But Lily tells her she can't stay, even though she's come, harassed her, stolen her food. Now she's got to dip. So she just dips out to the forest. Not just you got to go. It's you have to stop coming here, visiting poor people like us. And she's like, you live a very rich life, which is true. This lady, I mean, she's got like tons of baked goods. Her husband's just carving and snoozing the baby's sleeping in the crib like no no problem it does seem like in a, a really forest cool, wonderland yeah it's like a cool just you know besides the fact that there's like 
fairies and an evil lord of darkness right. who and, lives within walking distance. And the fact that Lily has to leave the palace to do something worthwhile right. uh, reminds me of one of Marcus Aurelius's lines, which is, it is possible to be happy even in a palace. Well, she's also leaving to visit her true love, who well, is yeah. Tom Cruise in a miniskirt. And she left the palace for that. Yeah. So she's walking around the forest trying to find him, calling his name, and he's not popping out. And then he like drops out of a tree and in, into a crouch. Well, in, in this scene, I feel like it was more emphasized in the theatrical version where the goblins, Lord Darkness's henchmen, uh, are kind of in the forest at the same time as Lily. They're following Lily. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's, she's innocent. Innocent. Exactly. But she meets up with Jack and he falls out of a tree into like a crouch. She like screams, which I can only imagine is because Tom Cruise in a miniskirt just fell out in front of her in like a wide leg crouch stance. I would also scream and fall backwards if that just leapt out at me. Uh, but she is expecting him, so maybe this is a behavior she's seen before because she just turns around and she starts may be laughing. Overly dramatic on purpose. Yeah. So then we have a scene where they're kind of hanging out, and it varies slightly, obviously, from the theatrical version to the director's cut. But this one varies significantly in that there's actually like an implied intimate moment. We get him laying her down in the grass. They kiss. We get a little as he's kissing. laying her down in the grass, and then we fade to black. And then we fade back up, and she's playing with... A sparrow. A sparrow, that's right. Yeah. Whistling at it. Right, she's talking to the sparrow. And then in the director's cut, she says, teach me how to speak to the rabbits. Teach me rabbit. And he won't do it. He says, not today. Not today. But in the theatrical version, she says, Jack, tell me my future. Tell me our future. Tell me our future. And he's like, not today. So... The setup's different, but we're getting to the same place. Because we go to go see the unicorns. He's like, I got something to show you, and they're not here very long. And so they leap off majestically into the forest, frolicking among the flowers, to go and find the unicorns, who are here for a short period of time, apparently. They've stopped by for a visit. And they sound like whales. Like, they literally used humpback whales for the sound of the unicorns. Yeah, overlaid with the music as the, like, slow-mo. yeah. Horses with uh, things glued on. <laughs> Frolic in the stream. Frolic across the stream. Yeah. yeah. So uh, Jack's like, oh, they're so cool. And he gives her a and lily. This would be the perfect time to explain more of the rules about this thing that you've taken your girlfriend to go do. Right. But he doesn't. So she leaps out to go see them because she's super stoked. I mean, he was just snuggling a fox. This is no different. This is just another animal in the forest. She's going out to visit it. Right. As far as she's concerned, this is just another forest creature that Jack is familiar with. Right. So she like kneels in the water and holds her hand out. And one of the unicorns comes up and like nuzzles her hand. Uh, And as she's doing that, Blix shoots it with a poison dart. Because innocence has successfully trapped the unicorn. And as it's It runs away. It doesn't fall right then and there. It runs away, and it kind of collapses, and Blix goes over and cuts the unicorn horn off. Well, I think it was the 
like pig snout goblin that oh. actually cut it off. And so that's why they have a scuffle later. Pox. Uh where Blix is saying, You act like it's you who do everything, but I'm the one who shot it with the dart. Yeah. Well, its horn gets cut off. Yeah. And while that's happening, we're kind of interspersing it with Jack and Lily had a little bit of a spat over the whole unicorn business, but they've made up. And so she decides to test him by taking her ring off and throwing it in the water. And she says, If you can find this, whoever, whoever can find this ring, I'll marry. Right. She says, I'm a princess. So it's- I have the right to set a challenge for my suitors. Yeah. So Jack's like, well, challenge accepted. And he leaps off the side of the rock uh, to go get it. And as he's under the water, so we get Jack swimming down in the water with this like underwater distorted camera angle with bubbles. And then where Lily is, it immediately starts snowing or raining. Raining, yeah. And then where the unicorn is, we get these like pink petals. Like cherry petals. Like cherry petals. So we're getting like bubbles rain or snow and cherry petals in these like three rapid transition scenes. Right. And like, uh, Jack's scene is all like blues and greens. And then Lily's scene is, it's almost like shades of black and it's just, hers has a much more dark sense. Yeah. And then the unicorn is just this clean white unicorn with these pink, you know, cherry blossom, petals flowing around and you're kind of flashing back and forth in between the three scenes. And it creates this really consistent energy where we get all three scenes, which are happening concurrently timeline wise, and we're snapping between them and we're generating the same kind of frantic energy in each scene by keeping this like large amount of like movement in each scene. Right, and you have Jack making like blah, 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 blah noises because he's underwater. <laughs> underwater. And Lily is just straight up screaming for Jack. And then the unicorn is, you know, horse screaming. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unicorn screaming. So it's like angry whale noises. Yeah. Yeah. So Anyway, Lily, it's, it's a fun scene to watch. Right. Lily dips. She abandons her true love. She's like, out! And she just runs off because it started snowing. I mean, shit got weird really fast. It started snowing. Something had happened. Jack had just been yelling at her about how she shouldn't have touched the unicorn. She doesn't know what's going to happen. And now something dramatic has happened. So she runs all the way back to the lady's cottage. Right. She's a princess. She doesn't need to put up with this. Right. And in the meantime, Jack tries to surface, but the surface of the water is frozen. Bonk. Bunk. So we go straight from this like three high energy scenes to Jack can't get out of the water. The unicorn has collapsed and isn't getting back up and Lily fleeing. So we go from like frantic to chaotic to like frightening all just with these rapid fire transitions. And it's so well done. And it just creates this super pivot in the movie where we go from this like sunbathed forest fantasy fairy tale to oh no something horrific has happened and it's it's just such a nice uh turn a nice tonal shift for us with right, this like very series well of scenes. executed yeah really well executed uh, but she goes back to the she goes back to the cottage and everyone's frozen lily is frozen the baby which is like a cabbage patch doll 
It's frozen. It looks like a baby doll. It's not like uh, like a frozen baby. A lot of the effects here would be... uh, You wouldn't notice them. Right. In a... On like a CRT screen. Yeah, in a non-HD cut. A non-HD. An analog film. Unrestored, yeah. The edges kind of blur together. Just that little bit to cover up the details. Like... Like the Kurgan's neck in yeah. the church scene in Highlander. Like in the HD version, you can tell this is a kind of sloppily applied right. prosthetic. The on edges neck. of the prosthetic are super visible. Right. But at the time on the on the film yeah, and the CRT version, it. it it was blended together. Yeah. I mean she has a little bit of plot in the cabin. Where she gets to the cabin, they're all frozen, but then the goblins show up. And so she hides in the attic. And the goblins, for some reason, just like spend a few minutes like lighting things on fire with the unicorn horn. I don't know. It's ma- ma- mainly it's to make sure that Lily connects with these goblins because she spends the next several scenes chasing them through the forest. And I think it's also a demonstration that the unicorn's power is in their horn. Right. Lily is chasing the goblins through the forest. And Jack... Mm. Following? Following. Pursuing. Tracking. 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 She, and, she's uh, reconnoitering. Yes. And Jack has broken his way out of the water and somehow survived this sudden blizzard which froze Lily. Or froze... Nell. Yeah. Nell. Nell and her family yeah, are all froze frozen Nell, in place. Nell, but didn't freeze him even though he's wearing um, no pants. But he does build a fire and fall asleep next to it, which is absolutely the safest thing to do in a blizzard. And he's like covered in snow. And it's like drifting up on him. And then I noted to Rachel when he bursts out of the ice, it reminds me of multiple scenes from 80s movies where there's a character just kind of screaming into like the weather. The weather, yeah. Which happens a couple more times in this movie, too. Right. Well, you got to shout into the wind. It's not dramatic if you're not shouting into the wind. You just can't just walk outside and shout willy-nilly. There has to be, like, a tornado or a rainstorm or lightning. And then you shout, obviously. Yeah. Anyway, so now he's in front of the fire that he built and collapsed. Yes. And then somebody shows up. And it is not Frankie Muniz. This you is, might think this is, this is, is Frankie Muniz, but this is not Frankie Muniz. Because uh, he was like one when this movie came out. Maybe he was the baby in the crib. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but it does look disturbingly like him. Uh, but this is Gump. And Gump is kind of a uh, chaotic. Honey, honey something Gump? This is Honeythorn Gump and his band of misfit fairies. Elves. Elves. Yes. Honeythorn and the rest are elves and then una which is a like very small light on the end of a fishing line (laughs) do you think she was like an led no they would have been like ten thousand dollars leds were larger and very expensive anyway she's a tiny light on the end of a fishing line uh, which the fishing line is clearly visible in most scenes, <laughs> which again, it wouldn't have been 
in right. a non-HD version of this. Uh, so, but she's like the tiny little pixie. Yeah, and it's uh, Honey Thorn Gump. The the notable characters that are going to pop up here are Honey Thorn Gump, Brown Tom, and Screwball. So in the theatrical version, this scene is. Oh no! In the director's cut, this scene is long. It is and a little long, almost creepy. It's creepy. Uh, Gump ends up coming off as like the almost like evil, mischievous, disturbing. Yes, disturbing is a good way to describe the like first introduction to Gump. Right, and like he asks. Jack a riddle, and when Jack knows the answer, there's like a two to three minute long scene of Gump like into the weather, screaming, thrashing on the ground, breaking his violin. Yeah, he smashes his instrument on the ground, and then he lays on the ground and has like a seizure, and yeah. he's screaming. And it really sets up Gump as kind of a disturbingly chaotic creature that has chosen to assist Jack, but who might at any moment turn on him. Uh, whereas in the theatrical version, it's far more friendly. He's just like, oh, you did it for love? Well, hot damn, get out the wine, let's drink to it. That changes things. That changes Have a drink. things. So Brown Tom gets out his little bottle of wine that's underneath his hat, and they pour a acorn shell full of elderberry wine. This was a formative scene from my childhood. <laughs> the, like pulling a bottle out from the hat, and especially that shape of the bottle, yeah, is yeah something that has always stuck in my memory. It's burned in your mind. Yeah. I always wondered about the smallness of the acorn, like the acorn cups. It's real strong stuff. Uh, apparently, apparently, because the bottle's quite tiny, but he spills a bunch, like as he's pouring it, right? <laughs> it because it's. Got a really bad spout. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, again, that's probably something you wouldn't have seen in non-HD. Uh, but they sort of bond. Um, whether Gump is the chaotic, disturbing character or the kind of just chaotic, neutral forest creature, um, they bond over this love thing. Because, yes, he betrayed the unicorns, but he did it for love. So whatever. So they go to find the unicorn. And Jack walks up to the unicorn after they find him, which it's the stallion. And that's, it's uh, been established. Jack can speak to all the creatures in the forest. Yes. And so it's the male unicorn that has been injured or currently dead. Uh, it's had a, a critical piece of its anatomy chopped off. Right. It's a singular horn. So it's laying down under this tree. <laughs> and uh, Jack walks up and the mare shows up. And she apparently communicates with Jack. She like looks at him and he looks back at her and he like walks back over to Gump and Gump's like, what, what, what's going on? And Jack's like, we're cursed. Yes, there are not we can do. We must get the alicorn back. Only then will the world return to normal. He has like two paragraphs worth of text of what the unicorn said to him. And word I, for word, we, here's what the unicorn told me. <laughs> right. We need a champion. To defeat the Lord of Darkness. Right. A pure of heart. A champion that's pure of heart. And uh, they're like, God damn. Wish we had one of those hanging around. <laughs> and they're like, oh my God, Jack, that's you. And he's like, who? Jack who? I, I'm no champion. I'm no champion. And uh, Gum's like, well, you just need some weapons. I know where to find the best. I know. And Jack's like, uh, 
I don't know. How, I don't know what to do with weapons. Uh, which nobody listens to him because then they immediately go off to like a weapons cache, which is like underneath a tree. It's like a tunnel under a tree, but at the end of it, it's just gold with like a gold chainmail shirt. And here I was reminded of uh, the scene in Pan's Labyrinth where the girl has to crawl through the tunnel under the tree yeah. to find the gold something or other. With the frogs. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Anyway, that's... Wow. That's... Okay. Oh. It, it, this scene is not gross. No, it's not as bad. <laughs> it's a really gross scene. Uh, but he goes on there to get it. And it turns out Una can turn into a full-size girl. Because she turns into a girl, and she's like, Jack, it's I want secret, you. <laughs> but we should bang. <laughs> I can be anything. Yeah, even your heart's desire. Even your heart's desire. So we should probably do it. And he's like, what? He's like really so, creeped out. Well, Rachel and I talked about this because uh, I didn't quite get, I was, my observation was, well, that was abrupt. Like she came on strong. Right. And so Rachel, Rachel said her interpretation was something like, Jack has a reputation amongst the mystical side of the forest creatures. Right. He does they he doesn't know so, them. Right. The elves and Una show up. And they, they all know, know him. They know who Jack is. Yes. They know what he does. They know that he lives in the forest and he speaks to all the animals. His reputation precedes him and he has um uh, what what's the current term? Um oh Una has a strong parasocial relationship with Jack. Yes. <laughs> Yes. She has fallen in love with someone she only has ever heard about. In stories. In yeah. stories. And so she appears to him, and he's like, uh, uh, great. And so he's so distracted, he doesn't take the pants for this set of armor. He only grabs the shirt, which is conveniently the same length as his like forest tunic that he started the movie out it in. It makes him look even more pantless. Yes. Somehow. Because a, a tattered... Uh, tunic with no pants is a little more plausible <laughs> than like scale mail tunic with right. no pants. And I also read that this like scale mail chain, whatever it is, was made from flattened bottle caps. Yeah, metal bottle caps. Metal, and yeah. now that I've seen it, I can't unsee it. So every time I look at it, I'm like... It's like somebody just put them in a, like a hydraulic press to flatten them out, like super flat, but you can yeah. still see They're like, like the ruffled little, around the, the edges. Ruffled edge. Yeah, yeah, it's... It, well, anyway, kind of ruined it for me. Also, this is an important note. So all the water that exists on Earth has always existed on Earth. Which means that the water in your body and the water in the ocean were once a part of another person or another body of water. Legend has it that any glitter you buy was, at one time, a part of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there is so much fucking glitter in this scene. Right. Everything uh, so is glittery. Prior to uh, Tom Cruise's character crawling through the tunnel. He didn't have that much glitter. I mean on there's him. glitter, but it's like a it's a tasteful touch of glitter. Right. This from here on out, they were like everybody is just completely covered in glitter. Yeah, I think they just made one set really glitterly glittery and then it just 
stuck to it's everybody. stuck to everybody, and they just rolled with it. Not only that, but every time Una shows up, there's bubbles. Like, when they find him by the... Like somebody's blowing bubbles through a bubble yes. wand. Yeah, when they yeah. find him by the fire, and they have the big reveal of all the fairy, all the fairies and elves... There's bubbles, and there's like, and then when Una appears, there's literally just glitter raining from the sky. So that they probably had multiple takes of that scene. Yeah, and that's probably why Tom Cruise, like his face and everything, uh, he was just looks covered like a disco ball. He is so glittery, and the armor is glittery. There's a book in the background that's like open on like a pedestal, and it's glittery. Everything is glittery. There is so much glitter. It's ridiculous. Just ridiculous. So anyway, think about that next time you're at the craft store and you buy glitter. Remember. This was recovered from the cleanup crew of the movie Legend. This was once a part of Legend. And now it's a part of your life too. But after they go and get this uh, armor tunic, scale mail, whatever we're going to call it from here on out, uh, we get a thing with Lily. And Lily is watching the three goblets, which are like Pox, Blunder, and Blix. And they're all hanging out, playing with the alicorn, or the unicorn's horn, which they call an alicorn. And darkness shows up. He like pops up out of the background, and he's like floating with like streamers. Well, there's, prior to that, Blix is demonstrating the use of the magic in the horn. And speaking in rhyme. And speaking in rhyme, Obviously. and uh, the the character Blix is played by a female actress. Yes, and I think the like just whole goblin uh, face and mannerisms, mannerisms, and like claws and everything. The whole, the whole package. The whole package combined with like. Someone who looks like a trained dancer, just yes. moving like super gracefully, gesturing very emphatically with this wand, is a very um, makes it feel otherworldly to have this like disgusting creature, to have this disgusting looking creature moving super gracefully. Yes, it's really it's well done. Picking a woman to play that character was really well done. Yes, um, but so she's kind of. Dancing around. Flourishing. They are flourishing the alicorn. And darkness pops up out of the back. And Pox like, oh, oh, Blix. And so Blix, who has very good situational awareness. Yeah, tosses the horn. It's like, oh, shit. (laughs) Drops it. Yeah. And so Blunder picks it up. And Blunder's like, you're not the boss of me anymore, Mr. Darkness. And so a, like, mummy stands up. Picks up Blunder. Blunder drops the horn. And then he jumps off a precipice with Blunder. Oh, no. I didn't mean it. No. No. Have you no sense of humor? Adios, amigo. And that's all the last yeah, we see of Blunder Lord for Darkness a little while. Darkness is a necromancer. Lord Darkness is whatever Lord Darkness wants to be. He's Tim Curry. He just showed up with a special set of, set of skills, and they just filmed it. Uh, so she sees all this. Lily sees all this. And Darkness has quite a few lines about how, hey, you killed both unicorns, right, guys? 
And they're like, oh, oh yeah, 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 oh yeah, absolutely. totally. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh my God, we got them. We got them so good. And then lies! He's, like, he's like, lies, the sun rises. The unicorns are dead. Is this not true? Hold on. Very plenty true. Undeniably true. You lie. Here is dawn. Look, the sunrise. And he like points. And the sun is indeed rising, proving that the unicorns aren't both dead. And so he tasks them with finding the last unicorn. They have to go find the last unicorn and nip it in the bud so the sun will stop doing that rising thing. So Lily's like, oh, shit, I caused this. I need to help. So and she takes and off. she now she knows what's going to happen. Right. She's got at least an inkling of what's happening. So she's she in runs a position back. and she's motivated to stop that from happening. Right. And uh, Brown Tom, who's been left to guard the unicorns while everybody else went off to go find some quote unquote armor. Uh, she runs up to Brown Tom and she's like, listen. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is all your fault. I'm not going to listen to you. And she's like, oh, my God, would you listen to me? I'm trying to tell you they're coming for the unicorn. And he's like, oh, shit, they're coming for the unicorn. And so immediately they show up behind her. And so she runs around the unicorn and is trying to get the mayor to, and to you leave. you get the sense that he's the wrong person to be guarding the unicorn. Well, he does but then do he some, uh, deftly wields this pan yeah. and just blocks arrows. He does some projectile blocking. He's a monk. He's monk, yeah. Yeah. Deflect arrows. He deflects arrows with his pan, magic pan. Uh, but then he gets shot in the head and uh, he falls backwards. Yeah, he gets shot. The arrow sticks in his hat. He falls backwards. Yeah. And then there's like a POV scene where they're holding a net and walking towards Lily and the unicorn. And then we cut back to Brown Tom. So and he's in the director's the cut, there's a lot more dialogue in between the goblins catching Lily and the unicorn and the elves showing up, uh, the elves and Tom Cruise showing up at um, where Brown Tom is. Yeah. And so it feels like a lot of time has passed. It's like, oh, there's no way, like they've been gone. Brown Tom's just been passed out on the ground. In the theatrical version, it's literally cut. Yeah. The elves show up. Yeah. And so it's like, oh, he's been like laying on the ground for like 30 seconds yeah. instead of hours. But he, he is like frosty and he's got some snow drifted up on him. And so they're like, oh no, Brown Tom. Yeah. But it almost feels like for the amount of time, like for the amount of time that should feel like it's passed, they didn't, pour, they didn't convey that as well in the theatrical version. Yeah. Well, it's a whole like 30 minutes shorter. So right. we lost a lot between the theatrical version and the director's cut. Uh, but he, he is like frosty and they walk up to him and they're like, oh no, Brown Tom. He's like, oh, they killed you too. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> what are you talking about? And so they pick his hat up and of course it only hit the wine bottle and broke the wine bottle. And he's like, oh, they cut me where it hurts. <laughs> <laughs> And then Tom Cruise picks him up to ask him a question and then shoves his head back down into the broken glass. Yes. Because <laughs> he says something about Lily and he's like, Lily? And he lifts him up and he's like, yeah, yeah. They, but they grabbed her and the mayor and he's like, ah, and he throws him back down in the broken glass. And you can hear the crunch. Yeah. 
Uh, well, anyway, so then they decide to follow the footprints in the snow in order to find where the unicorn and Lily have gone. So luckily it has stopped snowing at this point because now that the footprints got filled in and it's only like a five minute walk because they are hey. immediately at a giant hollowed out tree, which as Gump says is where back when the times, back in the lawless times, this is where everybody came to do sacrifices and shit. Just to set the tone of where we're going. And so they walk up to the tree and we really have kind of just some like scene setting here where we're setting up that this is kind of a evil area in general because they're going to cross this like moat slash bog thing and they get attacked by Meg, which in the theatrical Meg. version is quite short, but in the director's cut is like 45 minutes long. <laughs> Maybe an hour somewhere in there. But they're fighting this, like, water hag, uh, which is actually played by... Robert Picardo. Yes, the actor who plays the emergency medical hologram in Star Trek Voyager. Uh, Not that you'd know, because he's in pretty heavy prosthetics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can't tell from, like, facial features or anything, but there's a few, like, head movements. It's like, okay, I can see... Robert? (laughs) Is that you? (laughs) can see him through the makeup i know so they uh they tom cruise dispatches meg and they head into the tree and they immediately fall into a prison cell like they're in there all of 30 seconds before they fall <laughs> like the a rock falls out from underneath the them yeah they get set it's down like there. The stereotypical trap door right in front of the main entrance. Yeah. And as the as the party walks up, the bad guy pulls the lever. <laughs> and everybody just falls <laughs> down the chute and... Except there's no lever required. They literally walk right. out and it starts to tip and they're like, well, that's probably not going to keep doing that. And then it just keeps tipping and they fall off. And they land in this like really dusty hay, which has always disturbed me because there's like dead bodies in this hay. And then yeah. the straw or the hay is like, super dusty so they're all covered in dust and it's like what is the dust (laughs) it's old glitter oh yeah it's where glitter goes to die (laughs) i I believe it Uh, but also in this dungeon is blunder and blunder's like you know we're we're all gonna die but we're brothers and he takes his hood off and he's a he's an elf he's an elf um with like a corrupted elf he's got one weird he's got one three-fingered like claw Claw hand yeah and he's got like furry legs uh and he's like we're all gonna be barbecue and screwball's like oh barbecue barbecue Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh but there's like a guy chopping somebody on like a like a butcher's block yes way way in the back of the shot yeah there's like a big like I don't know. It reminds, he kind of looks like the guy who takes care of the um, Rancor in oh, Star Wars. he does look like the guy who takes care of the Rancor He's just a Wars. large, like, chubby, hairy guy wearing just, like, slabs of leather, like, rope tied. Slabs of leather. That's the most disgusting description, but accurate. So accurate for yeah, this Yeah, just outfit. tied together with yes, rough rope right. around his body. Uh, and so he's this slab of leather wearing hairy man in the back with like a big sword knife thing. Cleaver. Cleaver 
just like slamming it down on this body. And every time he slams down, the whole body kind of jerks upward. Yeah, like it's still alive. Like he's carving this guy up alive. And he's carving this guy up alive forever. Like half an hour. Yeah, in the theatrical version, he's doing it right at the beginning. Like it sets the tone at the beginning. It's literally a... Like a five-second shot yeah. from this scene, yes. but at the very beginning of the movie. Yeah. So, which which that's literally days. He's been chopping this guy. Or or they just have a whole supply. line of people yeah. to lay down on this thing and chop. It's entirely possible. But then he apparently runs out of them, and so he comes back to the... Maybe a lot of people wander into this tree and fall into this prison cell because he just walks up to the prison cell to get fresh meat. And he ends up walking in and getting Blunder. And he takes Blunder out. And they're like, oh, snap. The situation is serious. So Jack's like, Una, do your thing. And she turns into a full-size person. And she's like, you bitch. (laughs) This was our secret. This is our secret. And he's like, well, okay, but your secret was going to get us all killed. So I can keep your secret dead or I can spill the beans alive. And she's like, fine, then kiss me. So I'll he, do what you ask I'll if do, you kiss me. Kiss so he me. gives a little peck on the cheek. Yeah, he pecks her on the cheek. And she's like, no, that's not what I want. And so, so then she pulls out the big guns. Yeah, she turns into Lily. And he's like. She almost oh, got him. I think I will. And then he's like, nope, not Lily. Can't do it. Which in So in the director's cut, it's kind of like. Eh, like there wasn't that much sexual tension between Jack and Lily in the director's cut. Because we didn't have the implied intimate moment at the beginning. Right. Whereas in the theatrical version, like they they meet up and then there's kissing and laying down in the forest with the fade to black and everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, oh, yeah. So this feels like a, oh, okay, this might happen. It's like, okay, he's actually like attracted to her in that way. Exactly. And so it's a little more convincing that he's almost caught by it. Right. So she has this cool line about fairies' hearts. Care I for human hearts, soft and spiritless as porridge. A fairy's heart beats fierce and free. So apparently she lives up to the fact that they are fierce and free because she's wildly pissed off that he refused to kiss her. But she does go get the keys. And freeze them. And in the director's cut, she shuts the door in his face. Just as one last, we aren't friends anymore, Jack. Uh, But in the director's cut, or in the theatrical release, we don't do that. She just lets everybody out. She's kind of an incel. Yeah, and luckily, after doing all that hacking and hewing, the, uh, the creatures that the subtitles have labeled the demons have fallen asleep. And so they're able to sneak out past the butchers who are no longer cooking but are now just like napping on the floor it's hard work it's hard work cutting up all them people or the same person for a long time and meanwhile lily is in the castle somehow and she's like running around looking for uh warmth or an escape route or whatever okay so the goblins grabbed the unicorn but did they grab Lily, or yes. did Lily escape? Yeah, in the director's cut, there's a scene where she's standing with the unicorn, like they caught them together. 
And then she's that. running around. But in the theatrical version, she's just running around. But it's implied so she must they have were slipped together. away while they were busy tying up the unicorn. Yeah. And they were kind of like, eh, whatever. What, where's she going to go? There's what's so many dangerous do? things in this castle. Yeah, Something she's probably just going to die. So she's running around. Uh, her her dress is much the worse for wear. Like she's lost a sleeve. Somehow it's got torn all the way up to her waist in one part. So she's got this long slit down the front. But this is Mia Sarah. And I am okay with all of these costume choices. <laughs> because she. this is peak Mia Sarah. This is like Ferris Bueller Mia Sarah. This is, she does a good job. In this role. Uh, but as she's running around, she does run into like a giant room with a big blazing bonfire. And she can't help but stand creepily Almost in front like of it. she was drawn to Almost this room. Almost like she was drawn to it. And Una follows her. Yes. Una, who is the MVP of the Jack party. Pissed off at Jack. But still goes and finds she Lily. She sees the girl that Jack loves and yeah. thinks, oh, I love Jack too. <laughs> This person's important to Jack. Maybe, maybe if I help Jack with this girl, he'll like me. Yeah. So she checks her down um, and she runs into this room with the big fire and the doors close behind her. And there's just so much glitter on these doors. <laughs> you thought so you were safe from the glitter. Even in Lord Darkness's palace, everything is black and brown. But it's glittery but black it's glittery. and brown. There's a part where there's like a cool, the fire is burning and the smoke is like it's rolling across the ground into and into the, the fire. fireplace. And then there's a thing in the foreground. It, it's his throne. His throne is leaking glitter goo. Like It's like glittery slime. Yeah, it's like pouring down the sides and it's like glitter and... In like a gel suspension, gooing down the sides of this thing. Yeah, I wonder if it's like corn syrup or something. I don't even know. They were just like, throw glitter on that shit. Make it move. Splooge out the <laughs> glitter. <laughs> I have to come up with interesting words to just break Rachel out of her shell. Splooge. <laughs> don't say that. Oh, anyway, stop it. So Lily, back to Lily, is standing in front of the fire. Ragged. Yeah. Tired. Darkness is like. Paranoid. Darkness is like, I think she's kind of hot. There's a disembodied voice, which she keeps referring to as father. That's before she comes into this room. Right. And he's like, he's talking to father, whoever father is. And father is, in essence, like, woo her. Win her. <laughs> and in the theatrical version, seduce her. Seduce her. Yeah. It's a creepier voice in the theatrical version. In the yeah. director's cut, it's far more um, like I just demonstrated. Father, I hold the world in my grasp. And yet this girl distracts me. It has been an eternity since I felt such desire. What am I to do? She fascinates you because her soul is pure. I'll take her then. Fool! You must woo her. She remembers the world as it was. So tempt her. 
also in this that conversation happens while she's running around and Una's kind of following her. Right. And so that's why I said it's all like she was drawn to this room. Right. She gets to this room. Because and he's decided. Yeah. And he we needs Lily. We know darkness is like into Lily right now. And he's trying to get her on his side. And so she turns around and there's literally a table full of like sparkly silver jewels and diamonds and stuff. And she's like <gasps> Is that mine? I, I like jewelry. <laughs> I could I could accessorize this dress. So she turns around and walks over to it. And there's like a creepy, I don't know it's, how we achieved it's this a practical person. effect. The, just like the skin makeup. It's supposed to be like a cherub. That's why I said like, right. man, it's supposed to be like a cherub, but yes. it moves. It's a, it looks like a cherub statue. Yeah. And then we realize, oh, this is a little person in really good makeup. So you remembered the like wine bottle in the hat? Yes. This is the thing that I remember. Every time I think about this movie, I think about the dress, which we're about to have, and this creature on the table with the like full body makeup that makes it look like a statue. And it sits so still, and then it moves in the background, and it is so creepy. But she pulls out this giant necklace, which looks like overwhelmingly heavy. Like I get anxious just thinking about wearing it. And then she turns around, and there's a dress standing by the fireplace. Yes, it's a dress, and it's standing by the fireplace. Like, the person inside of it is in this, like, full-body glitter black uh, suit. morph suit. Yeah, to, like, make it seem like they're not in there. And, and I remember I, my memory of this scene has the dress like without the person's silhouette in it. Right. They do a good job of, like... That the person in the dress blends really yeah. well into the dress. And so it comes over and she's like, oh my God, this dress is dancing. And it kind of waves its hand in front of her face a couple of times. And she's like, I'm no longer weirded out by this. And she just starts so dancing with the dress. In the, I guess in the director's cut, they had this line, but I don't remember hearing it in the theatrical version, which Hypnotize was. Hypnotize her. That one? No. Um, when they said. As long as the unicorns are alive. I think this is um, Jack talking to Lily. He's like, as long as the unicorns are alive, darkness cannot touch the pure of heart. Yes. And so Lily is in this room, and she's starting to be like entranced by the jewels and things. And then there's this beautiful dress, like animated, and... It reaches out toward her like it's going to like grab her or caress her. You're not sure which, but it stops. It doesn't quite touch her. And so I was thinking of that line where as long as the unicorns are alive, darkness cannot harm the pure of heart. Right. But she does eventually grab the dress herself. But, right. Yes. She gets seduced by it. Right. And so she has this dance with the dress. But I was thinking the... The symbolism there for me was Lord Darkness's power couldn't touch her directly. Right. Because a unicorn is Not till she accepts at least a part of it. But yeah, right. She can she can initiate. Yeah. But uh the the contact with the darkness. But not right. the other way around. So this is my like this whole sequence from her walking into the room 
until Lord Darkness reveal. And then the conversation with Lord Darkness is like my favorite sequence in the whole movie. And during this, Jack's doing stuff. Like he's defeating the demons. He's come up with a, you know, he's he's hunting for her. Uh, they go through a room and these creepy things pop out of the floor. They're doing stuff. But, I mean, it's like more brown Tom screwball shenanigans. Right, it's the and- dress scene and when the Lord of Darkness comes out of the mirror and they're chatting, those are the, the big scenes that stick with me for yeah, this movie. Yeah, because otherwise it's just like shenanigans. They're just right. like, it's, it's, it's to keep us aware that they're in it. And it's that a fantasy doing adventure stuff. story. Yeah. yeah. So Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, blah, blah. Plot, plot, plot. Plot, 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 plot. Is that what's happening with yeah, Jack? Yeah, it's plot, 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 but, plot, plot, plot. Beautiful, striking yes. film, dress scene. film scene. Yeah. yeah, so she dances with the dress. As she twirls, one of the moments where she's twirling, she like backs up and beckons the dress to her, and it does this like chest thrust, like walking towards her part. And then when she grabs it this time, they become right. she one. She almost like steps into it. Yes. And they cut it really well. Yeah, so she's now wearing, wearing the, dress. the dress. Yeah. yeah. And so this dress. At first, it looks taped, but there is actually a sheer panel right across the front um, that gives you that illusion of almost a completely open front between her right, like, decolletage. So we, we pick awards, just <laughs> ridiculous awards. I don't know, those are at the me. end. Well, hold on. I, I was going to say, initially, my award was going to be like the largest distance between the top of a collar and the bottom of the neckline. Yes. It's <laughs> because quite this dress open has this in the huge front. Huge collar. And the neckline goes all the way down like below her belly button. I'm gonna say this right here. Why don't I see more cosplay of this dress? That's a good question. Yeah. I wanna see some of those phenomenal cosplayers take this dress and do something fabulous with it. Like update the makeup even because the makeup's fine. It's great. But I want to see what we can do with it with like today's like over the top makeup trends and and then this dress is just so it's so perfect for this part in the movie. So she's spinning and dancing, continuing the dance even though now she's not dancing with anyone. She is kind of merged with this dark dress. And she ends in front of a mirror and she turns and sees herself. And just as she sees herself, Something comes out of the mirror. And this is why I love that in the director's cut, this is our first glimpse of darkness. Up until now, we've heard his voice. We've seen him through the stuff that he's done, but we haven't seen Right, we're almost three quarters of the way into the movie, and this is the first time we see him. And this reveal is fucking iconic. He, like merges out of the mirror and into real life like his hand comes out and then he we get a hoof come out and step on the ground and then his horns come out and as soon as he's like revealed in his full darkness glory she passes out and so he goes over and he kneels in front of her and we get this wide shot where she's on the one side and he's kneeling in front of her and he has this long cape flowing behind him. Bull- get, billowing. Yeah, we get just enough wind to like lift the cape. And it is, when I think about movie scenes that I love, this is a scene that I think about. 
because it's so well-framed and it's so well-lit and it's so well done. And especially in the scene, in the cut where we haven't seen him before, this is our first reveal of this over-the-top, dramatic, just impactful makeup on Tim Curry. And it is so well done. And he, he moves in it so well, which he's wearing like, uh, I think like almost two foot extensions on his legs. Yeah. It made him like the, seven feet tall. It yeah. was so, uh, yeah, like a lot of animals, it looks like their knee is reversed, but it's actually, you're actually looking at their ankle. And so there's a bunch of different like monster costume stuff where you put an extension on your foot and then your ankle looks like the animal ankle where it looks like a reverse knee. But he moves so well in it. Yes, because he's Tim Curry. He probably just, that was in his closet. He brought it in. It's like uh, Henry Cavill just wore the Witcher armor. Yeah. Just day and like 24 hours a day for weeks. So he like lived in it. So he could move very naturally in it. Right. And so I was like, did Tim Curry wear like these feet prosthetic things? Like long enough so that he could move naturally. I wouldn't put it past him. I wouldn't be surprised. But then we get a scene where she's at the table with him and he's just trying to get her to sit down so they can have a conversation. And he's like, Tell me what you're thinking. I value your thoughts. All I wish is for you to sit and talk with me. Sit? Yeah. Yes. Please. I prefer to stand. Silence! Or stand. As you wish. It is enough that we are alone together. And he's he's literally just trying to have a conversation with her. He's trying to make a connection. And she keeps rebuffing him. And finally he's like... And he like crushes stuff on the table, and then he does like a. Hang on, I am so sorry, I lost it for a minute there. So I didn't, I didn't remember uh, this line from the director's cut where the like giant goblet fills up with wine, and she picks it up. Like okay, like fine, I'll, I'll play your game a little bit, and he's like yes, and then she's like. She throws it down and says, I do nothing for your pleasure. And he just flips his shit. Yeah. Uh, and then, so I, I, my recollection is in the director's cut, he was trying to get her to sit in the chair and she was kind of like backing up to the chair. Because the chair but is then creepy the chair as fuck. has like arms and hands. Yeah, and it's like breathing. And it's like, flexing and like the hands are like warming up like getting ready to grab her once she sits down and the closer she gets he's like his face is like twitching like he's, he's like, so yes. excited yes like, so sit close. in the chair do it, do it. <laughs> sit in the chair and then she's like no i prefer to stand and he's like ah! and throws the stuff like, off the table yeah. but then in the theatrical cut in the theatrical cut it's the this gigantic wine goblet scene and she's picking it up and you know he gets the face twitchy like yeah uh yeah oh yeah just like that and then she (laughs) throws it on the ground 
and I do says, nothing I do for nothing your for your pleasure. Yeah. Knocks all the stuff he's off just, the table. He's trying. He's trying. But it's probably been a while. He hasn't been on the dating scene. There's not a whole bunch of lady darknesses out there. And he's finally got this girl that he's like, Which, oh, she's hot. it's very reminiscent of... Beast in Beauty and the Beast. Ah, yeah. Trying to hold his manners together. Yes. To convince this girl to like him. He's as old as time. He's older than time. Literally, he has existed before light. And now he's trying to court this girl who's, what, like 16? Right. And so he reacts just like any immortal being would to the 16-year-old girl who's like, No! 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 I don't want to do it! I don't want nothing for your pleasure. And he's like... (laughs) He's like, oh, God, why do I like you so much? And she's like, you know what, actually? I want to be the one that kills so, the unicorn. So he's he starts getting, like, really aggressive. Yeah, he starts, like, stalking towards her. He starts t- stalking towards her. You know, he hunches, he kind of rolls his back, leans his head forward, so his horns are pointing at her, and he's. It, you get the sense that he's, like, like leading bull. up. Like a yeah, bull like a getting bull ready, yeah. Getting ready to charge. charge. And then she's like... Shit, uh, I may have gone a little bit too far here. And let me walk it back. I hear a throat waiting to be cut. And he's like, Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Do oh you? you're still in this. <laughs> <laughs> I was getting totally signals, but now I'm like, Yeah, let's do this. That he was in, yeah. yeah, yeah. What he heard was, We can bang later. And he was all in. Yeah. He's already super horny. <laughs> uh, it was worth it for that incredulous look. Uh, so after that, meanwhile, anyway, during this conversation, relevant to this conversation, is he says, I am the Lord of Darkness. I require the solace of the shadows and the dark of the night. Sunshine is my destroyer. Thus revealing to everyone that sunlight is his weakness. And so Jack and Gump and Una are all listening at the door. Well, uh, before you go any further, just like, just like the delayed monster reveal, uh, where the theatrical cut just threw it right at you at the beginning... In this case, the theatrical cut also Throws gave his you his yeah. weakness literally before any film scenes show up. Right. They're just like, hey, guys, you want to know how to destroy darkness? We're going to go ahead and tell you. But don't Sunlight. worry. We'll rewind you later. It's fine. Yeah. And then in this one, they're like, oh, hey, we'll wait. And so this is our first time that he's like, darkness is my element and sunlight is my destroyer. Uh, but in Tim Curry voice, which is way better than mine. And so they're like, oh, God, did you hear that, guys? I think sunlight will kill him. And so Jack remembers at the very beginning when Lily, like, holds up her locket and, right, like, and shows the sun in sunlight his eyes. in his face. And he's like, oh, I have an idea. So then they go back and confront. They are getting a bunch of plates, like oversized yeah, back plates. to the kitchen. Yeah, from the kitchen. Which I don't know why we have these giant plates, but luckily we do. And so they're like, I'm wondering if it's almost like a caricature to emphasize how small 
the elves are. Uh, it's possible. In comparison to the demons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because we, we have only Gump and uh, the other goofy guys uh, throwing these plates around. Screwball and Brown Tom. That's what I said. Right. And which they're like, they're throwing them frisbees at each other, and they're catching them. The sleeping demons (laughs) in the kitchen, right there. Yeah, and it's like, (laughs) flies past. As they go, they go. Yeah, because they're like really thin and really big, and so they're making like a flexing metal sound. And then, but they're catching them, which Matt and I were both like, how many takes did they have to do to be able to throw those and catch those like that? So we only see probably like five or six successful throws and catches, but there's like 30 of these things behind them. Right. But me. So I think that's how many takes it was. Eventually, Screwball falls into the giant pile. Yeah. And so they wake up the demons and they have to fight them, which fight, 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 plot, plot, plot. They end up knocking over a big pot of stew, which. On one of them. On one of them. And boils them alive. Yeah, and the and puts out the fire, which they then immediately walk into the fire pit to look up the chimney, and it's not hot at all, even though this giant roaring fire has plot, been plot, going plot. this entire time. And they're like, oh, I know what we need to do. Oh, this is when the inspirational synth music starts playing. The inspirational Tangerine yes. Dream soundtrack starts playing, and we get just like the hint of what will be our power ballad at the end. And uh, they look up and see the sun, and he's like, I got it. And so Screwball volunteers to climb. Uh, I don't know why they're like, yeah, Screwball's got this. It's fine. There's absolutely no way this he can fuck this up. He's just got to climb a chimney. So he starts climbing, and they're arranging the plates so that they'll be able to transfer. Kind of like that scene from The Mummy when they drop down, and they're in the mummification room. Yeah, they're reflecting. They have these dishes. Yeah. Like reflective mirrors. Right. To project the light, bounce the light through all the rooms. Right. Yeah. So that's what they're working on. Um, and meanwhile, Lily and Darkness have made their way to where the remaining unicorn is waiting. And Darkness is uh, monologuing. Tonight, the sun sets forever. There shall never be another dawn like a lot really well i mean if he just killed the unicorn if he just fucking killed the unicorn and dipped on the whole speechifying part unicorn would have been dead there would have been no more sunlight and the bad guys would have won but oh no he's got to go like he's got to have a he's got to pontificate for a little while here before we can go ahead and kill the unicorn which is what he's doing well Uh, he is so caught up with lily he doesn't even know jack and the elves are there Right. He's totally focused on this new love affair. Plus, he's darkness. He's eternal. He's the evil that lives in all men's hearts. Right. What could some mortals Yeah, what, what does he do have to him? fear from Brown Tom and Screwball? He's not worried about this at all. So he's pontificating, um, and he's got like a cloak on, and it's blowing in the wind, and he's like gesturing with the alicorn and whatever. Meanwhile, they're doing the plates. And they get the last plate in place just as the doors start to swing shut on the chamber where and so Darkness Gump and, Lily and Jack are. run into the room as the doors shut. Then they kind of climb up over this pile of rocks, which was originally supposed to be rotting bodies. And so it kind of looks like bodies. It's like bodies and rocks all kind of put together. And so they climb up there and they see Lily. And Jack just goes, <laughs> Lily. 
your eyes. <laughs> and Gump says, Judge her with your art, not with your eyes, Jack. Which, in like two seconds. And, and then like five seconds later, yeah. Gump's like, She's one of them. She's, she's one of them, She's going to do it, Jack. Kill her. Kill her. Uh, so clearly, he judged with his eyes. You better listen to your own advice there, Mr. Gump. So, anyway. Uh, Lily is standing there, and uh, Darkness is going to give her the honor of killing the last unicorn. So he gives her this sword, and she's raising it over her head, and Jack is like... Jack is pointing the arrow at Lily, and then Darkness. Lily, Darkness, Lily, Darkness. And he's like... I trust you, Lily. I'll always trust you. Right. So then he shoots Darkness in the neck, which his neck muscles are so beefy. They like deflect the arrow. So from here on out, the fletching kind of goes in one side, and then the point is coming out at a completely different angle, like a 90-degree angle right. in the front, which is, I don't know if this is intentional or if it's literally just worse than vampire makeup. They couldn't even get the arrow to look straight through his neck but anyway some plot 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 we do a little bit of fighting uh lily frees the unicorn right unicorn she runs off she twists as she swings the sword down and cuts the chain and he backs he like bitch slaps her he backhands her and she falls down she's out of, she's out for the count and jack ends up getting the unicorn horn well, Darkness is uh, waxing philosophical again. And so he throws it at Darkness and it pierces him in the stomach. Just as Una wakes up, Screwball, who's fallen asleep at the top of the... Fucking Screwball. Fucking Screwball has fallen asleep at the top of the chimney. And so they, they together stand the plate up and reflect the sunlight down the chimney, around all the bends. Boom, 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 boom. The light bounces all around right and it literally explodes the the doors doors. yes and it knocks darkness uh towards the void right yeah there's this like narrowing tunnel to like an open window into the eternal void right which is just out the back of the tree (laughs) but it's like outer space yeah it's the void uh anyway i don't i don't know how that works logistically but it's it's a fairy tale, so it does. Uh, so he is in this like hallway to the void, and he's caught himself. Which in the theatrical version, he's just talking, and he has his hands on either side, and he keeps like slipping, little bit by little bit. But in the director's cut, he like picks one hand up and gestures, which doesn't make even sense. though he's barely holding. Yeah, on even though by he's barely holding on. Yeah. Anyway, so after a little bit of, you can't kill me. I'm inside you. I live in your heart. You can't have light without darkness. You can't have good without evil. Jack is finally like, please just shut up. And he cuts darkness's hand off. And he drops the horn and then flies off into the void. And explodes into like five stars. Yeah. So Gump is like, time to fulfill your promise, Jack. Which I don't remember Jack making a promise, but apparently it was to um, give the horn back to the elves. So he gives the horn back to Gump. Gump goes off. He picks up Lily, and Gump is like, oh, yeah, she's under a really bad spell. Like This is your riddle to solve. This is your riddle. You got to figure this shit out. I, don't, I got nothing. And Jack's like, oh, I know what to do. So he puts her back in her dress, because when we go back, she's dressed back in her dress. But it's whole again, and her hair's redone. 
Anyway, so he lays her down in the grass and he like jumps off because he's got to get that ring. So I thought this was the time, the sequence of the scenes felt out of order because there's Jack and Lily in the forest where Jack is going, recovering the ring to wake up Lily. And then there's Gump sticking the unicorn's horn back on. Yeah. In the like blizzardy storm. Well, the like petal storm, which is where he where the unicorn is. Oh, there's snow. There's snow blowing around as he's putting it back on. But Jack dives into the pool and right. it's like summer again. And Lily's laying in like spring grass. Yes. Yeah. And then it's after Jack dives into this summery forest pool that Gump puts the horn back on. Right. And I feel to like the power ballad. it should have been put the horn back on. Well, in the director's cut, we don't even get to put the horn back on scene at all. Right. They, both unicorns are just running Both around. unicorns are just better. Or just, they're better. They're fine. But in the theatrical version, I think they're just trying to cut, cut. Up. Yeah, cut, cut. Kind of make it feel a little faster at the end. Yeah. Uh, so we get the unicorns better. Jack finds the ring. He puts it on Lily's finger and Lily wakes up. And they have a kiss scene here, which this is the same kiss scene it's the we used exact at the beginning. Same kiss scene. Yeah. Yeah. We recycled it. His hair is even wet in the beginning. The very first kiss scene, his yeah. hair is dry. And then the second part of the kiss scene, his hair is wet because we're recycling this part right here. Right. So after that, pretty much they just run off, turn around, wave. And then Gump and the unicorns and everybody are all there and they wave back. And we have like an 80s power ballad moment where there's dulcet 80s music playing. There's swelling chords. They're happily ever after. There's a sun is risen. And then Lord Darkness gets his final laugh. Half transparent overlay of him throwing his head back laughing and, you know. Because there is no good without evil. There is no light without darkness. You cannot destroy the darkness in the hearts of men. You can't destroy darkness. What evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. Tim Curry knows. And then in the director's cut, there's a little bit more dialogue between Jack and Lily. Right, because she's like, look, Jack, I've decided we could just be friends. And he's like... And she gives him the ring back. Yeah. And he's like... What did I do all this for? <laughs> well, he's just like, okay. And then he runs off alone. But in the theatrical cut, they, they run, run off, off together. together. Yes. Yeah, so it is a completely different ending. And they turn around and all their friends are there and they wave. Instead of Lily running back to her castle to be like, guys, I ate some really bad shrooms. Hold on. Here's what I just thought. There's Jack and Lily turn around and see everybody like... Up on this cliff. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're on the wrong side of the river. It's like, well, I've got all the horses. <laughs> you're on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> hey, another mummy reference. We should do the mummy. Mummy would be good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Especially with the return of Brandon Fraser. Oh, I love Brandon. Maybe we'll do George of the Jungle too. That's a fantasy. That's your fantasy. <laughs> George of the Jungle is one of my favorite movies. No one gets to judge me. No one. <laughs> Only God can judge me. 
So anyway, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why this movie is 80s gold. It's gold. It's Ridley Scott. It's one of his better filmed, just like beautiful movies because it's totally uninhibited. It is like, this is the movie that I want to make and I'm going to make it. And there's no consideration for like, there's no backhand to every joke. Like every joke doesn't have the ironic undertone. That's a big difference culturally with the 80s and like the 2000s. Yeah, it's not disenchanted, right? right? It, It You're allowed to feel like this movie is wholly magical. And like they are going to be together in the end, even though they're like 16. And there's absolutely no way it can work because she's like a princess and he's literally just a dude that lives in the woods and thinks he can talk to animals and doesn't wear pants. <laughs> but, you're like, <laughs> but you're here for it. You're like, oh my God, Lily and Jack forever. I just want them to be together. And I, that's why I love, that's why I love this whole era of movies, especially fantasy sci-fi movies in this time period are also just like, Generally optimistic and idealistic. Yeah, Yeah, just, you know, we get enough grimdark. This is the opposite of grimdark. This is the opposite of grimdark, for sure. So, do you have anything to say about Legend? I think I've said everything. (laughs) Besides, I like checking it out at Blockbuster. (laughs) Well, I never checked it out. My mom checked it out. Oh, okay. Maybe she liked Tom Cruise. Maybe she liked Tim Curry. I mean, I'm I'm a I love Tim Curry. Tim Curry is unrecognizable in this, besides his voice, except for his body language. Right, it's the body language. Yes, there's yes. that scene where he's talking to Lily, and he's like, "You're gonna, you can't say that about your bridal gown." And he like tips his head back, and he like runs his claws down his chest in this like sensual movement. Like, you're gonna get all of this. <laughs> like he's selling it. Like he thinks. He's worth this wedding. And he's just like, look at babe. This all this, this gonna be yours. And it's such a Tim Curry, just like head slung back, like cocky, almost effeminate movement where he like thrusts one hip out and does this like it, it, yes, very reminiscent of Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yes. That's what I always liked about Tim Curry is he he had no desire to seem like machismo like he had no like overly macho vibes that he felt like he needed to give off in every role even though this is a hyper masculine looking character i mean he's like he's literally a bull he has giant horns he has the hooves he has like a super muscular a 12 pack with like pecs and like in this massive muscle suit yes you see his back and it looks like it's literally modeled after a bull's back muscles. Yes. So it's this hyper-masculine makeup. And then you put Tim Curry in it. And Tim Curry gives you just that little bit of femininity. Just that little bit of like fluid, almost dancer movements that he puts with it. And it makes darkness work so much better. If it had been stiff, if you had somebody in Which, it who I'm played wondering it stiff, if there was like a choreographer or something uh, that was involved. This is just because Tim it's, Curry. It's very, well, it's very reminiscent of Blix, too. Yeah. You have the contrast of this 
visual appearance contrasted with the fluidity and gracefulness of their movements. I mean, it could have been what they were going for in casting. Yes. So it could have been like they cast someone who they knew was going to move like a dancer. And then they cast Tim Curry. I mean, there was no shortage of overly masculine guys you could have picked in the 80s to be in this role. Right, but the the masculinity is coming from the makeup. Yes. And they needed the character to sell it. Right. And Tim Curry sells it. And this is the exact same makeup that um, Ryan Reynolds uses for his, like, Mint Mobile ads. And uh, I think he did a couple of, like, dating app ads. Oh, yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, match. Didn't he do match.com where he was Satan and yeah. he met 2020? And then I think he left 2020 for 2021. But I mean, he, it works, especially if it works independently, but it also works if you get the reference. But that just goes to show you how iconic this character is for extremely little screen time. He gets like 15 minutes, 20 minutes. And a lot of it is just like him in the background or him in a room. He doesn't have a lot of like just this character on the screen. And yet, he's the most memorable character in the entire movie. Yep. So, since you didn't go with the farthest distance from the top of the collar to the bottom of the neckline, what is the award? Oh, you stole my line already. <laughs> What's your... The horniest villain. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's okay. No, hey, go, go explain it to us. I want to hear it. I don't think I need to explain it. I think it's completely self-explanatory. Well, he has really huge horns. Got a big horn. Every, maybe every movie needs to have a huge something. <laughs> well, he does have huge... He he's, also has a huge codpiece. So I think you could go... He has huge appendages. Well, my award is going to go to the uh, the most improbable action star to wear a miniskirt. Uh, it's going to be <laughs> Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean, it's not even like a miniskirt. It's like a like a clubbing dress that he's wearing because it's like right. It's super glittery. Gold. It's glittery. It's almost like a flapper dress. It terminates right at the like top of his thighs, and he is it's, squatting it's right at the bottom of his underwear. He is squatting constantly, like he never just sits. He's always squatting. He's always squatting, facing people with like his knees really far apart. So. I don't know what they had him wearing underneath these outfits, but I think there's probably a reason we never see him from the front when he's sitting down. We do once. In the scene where the rock is tipping and they're falling down, he kind of falls back and like goes knees full, <laughs> full like all apart. <laughs> you see full of inner, inner Tom Cruise thighs. Yeah. And it's, it's basically just a, rectangular piece of fabric like um uh breach clout yeah it's a breach clout i haven't decided what we're gonna watch yet next but y'all can keep plugging right along on forever night because we're gonna keep plugging right along on forever night uh it's available on amazon i don't know if i mentioned that but season one and season two are both available for free on amazon if you're a prime member uh that's not a sponsorship we don't get paid for that i'm just telling you where you can watch it for essentially free uh, however, there is like a $20 DVD set you can buy, and it has seasons one, two, and three, which three can be really tricky to find streaming. So I highly recommend you just 
purchase the DVD set if you have a disc player. I don't even think season three is available for purchase anywhere, like to stream. Like you can't purchase it on Amazon. Um, it has some weird rights stuff. So it's always easier just to get season three on disc. Right. And each season was done by a different, uh, like, television studio. Yeah. So it's television something network, weird is happening. So. It's probably right up there with uh, Shadow of the Vampire, which my Patreon goal still stands. If we can get 25 Patreons, I will watch Shadow of the Vampire and I'll do a live watch. We'll buy the $99 copy of yes. Shadow of the Vampire. Yes. And I will watch Willem Dafoe as Count Orlock live. Live, coming to your ear holes. Uh, Released as a riff track. Yes. I also finished book three of A Court of Thorns and Roses. So Kate will be coming back for another book talk with Kate. And we will be discussing the third book, A Court of Wings and Ruin. Uh, If you haven't listened to those, I highly recommend those too. But they do contain some sexy stuff. So beware. Beware of young ears. I guess that's pretty much it. I mean, we've dissected Legend pretty thoroughly. We yeah. spent the last three hours of our life watching Legend, and now we talked about it for an hour and a half. So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful, too. So be who you are and love what you love. <laughs> we hope you keep listening. See you next time, friends. Bye. Bye. Unicorn. <laughs> I beat Matt to it. You want to sing it together? The, the last, last unicorn. I'm alive. That's enough of that.